0: I was shaking, but I decided one day I was like, okay, I've got to say something. So at the end of my class, I said, there's something I want to share with you to my students. And I think they could tell like the energy in the room shifted. Everyone kind of stopped talking and they were like, yeah, what's up? And I said, you know what? I'm really hoping to be joining you in your pregnancy journey soon. I just want to let you know, my husband and I are going through fertility treatments and I'm like blinking back tears. like I'm trying so hard to keep it together because I'm trying to be the strong teacher and the you know the expert. And in that moment, everything shifted. In that moment, I think about a third of the class came up to me and said, "Oh, I had through miscarriages." or, "Oh well, I, my sister had to do IVF," or, you know, oh yeah, we've And, and I, here I was assuming that all of them had had this easy time and that I was the only one who had been struggling. and I had been so wrong about that. Two
1: years ago, at six months pregnant, we lost our baby girl to an undetected external infection, and what has followed took us down a path we could never have predicted. You know, I was used to getting pregnant quickly and unassisted. The infertility journey came as a surprise. No one talked to me about getting my ovarian reserve tested. You know, no one told me that just because I got pregnant easily with my first and my second, it it didn't mean that I could expect the same with my third or fourth for that matter. I thought IUIs were a for sure thing. I thought IVF was a one month process, and that that's just the physical part. All these assumptions were incorrect. But why would I know any better? I'm Emily Geddes, and this is the Day One Podcast, a show dedicated to the unspoken side of fertility. Here, I share my story and bring together moms, dads, parents-to-be, doctors, specialists, and healers to help break stigmas, normalize the conversation. Let's bring education to the forefront. And most importantly, build a community so the journey doesn't feel so lonely. Hello, welcome back. Um, I'm feeling really excited today, energized today. I'm sure you can tell by the just the tone of my voice. Um, I'm back into a routine and exercising and just gearing up for a conversation with my doctor next week just to talk details. Um... And, you know, it's been a hectic summer, a great summer, but I um, probably am not amongst, you know, the majority to say that I am excited for September. (laughs) Don't hate me. Um, I am pumped to announce the next episode. Uh, Nikki, we have on, who I've known for years. She has really grown her practice and her. offering. She is one of Canada's most sought after health and fitness expert. She's an IVF mama of two, a pelvic health advocate, and the creator of the Bell Method, a groundbreaking exercise program designed specifically for women. I have taken some of the classes and I can attest to how awesome and very hard they are um Nikki has dedicated her life to creating fitness programs that create choreography from science each one specifically designed to enable women to ditch the guilt and bring balance to their bodies Nikki really has a passion for encouraging women to lead happier and healthier lives and I really think that that it because that's the heart of Nikki that was why she decided it was time to share her IVF story um and her fertility struggles with her clients at the time. Um, The other thing that I wanted to share is moving forward, I want to explain the titles of the episodes. They are extremely thoughtful. I edit and review all of my episodes, and the titles reflect either a theme or something the guest has said that has really sat with me This one is called Feel Less Alone, and that's because um, my conversation with Nikki, everything she has done, all the decisions she's made, all the sharing she has chosen to do, was really rooted in helping people not feel so alone. And then in turn, um, as some of us who have shared know, she felt less alone. So it's a really interesting conversation of someone who works in the health and fitness industry, um, who teaches prenatal, I don't know how she did it, classes while going through treatment, and just sharing how her fertility journey has shaped who sh- how she has become today. So um, big thank you to Nikki, and uh, please, please, please enjoy
0: this one. Nikki! Welcome. (laughs) Thank you for having me. This is, this is a big deal. This is big deal to talk about this. And I just love how open you are, Emily, with your journey. And I know you are helping so many people. I wish that I had had this podcast to listen to when I was going through my own crap.
1: Well, that means so much to me because I've been following you and for years, like I'd say almost eight years. Like I knew you at the, at the very beginning of your own career and your journey. And you are just an inspiration in your own right with all the work that you're doing. And I feel you've really evolved, right? We're getting into it without me explaining. That's okay. <laughs> where we're <laughs> what we're going to do, what we're going to talk about. But um, although I know my community knows a little bit about you just with our teaser and intro, why don't you just give a lowdown on, you know, the work you've done and then how you, um, decided and when you decided to family plan, because I find, um, what's very interesting about your story from, from an outsider's point of view is the work you were doing prior, Mm -hmm. I feel has evolved so much because of your experience in fertility.
0: Yeah. I think that, Well, and being a mom, yep, yep, one hundred percent. So, okay, here's the gist. I'm a Pilates teacher. I've been teaching movement. I'm turning forty in like a week, which is like what? I know it's amazing. I'm doing Um, that because I'm like, (laughs) I,
1: I, I'm like, universe. Can I look like Nikki when I'm (laughs) forty?
0: So, I've been teaching movement since I was oh god, my first job. I was eighteen teaching classes. So, I've been doing this for a long time, and I have always been passionate about you know women's health and movement and that passion has only become even more intense since going through my own fertility journey so you know really I think I was I was always working with women you know all along and I was even working with pelvic floor stuff before I became a mom but I think that When I had to go through our miscarriage and multiple IUIs and ultimately IVF, I had a huge lesson in empathy. And that is something that, you know, I frankly would have been that super annoying person if I hadn't gone through this, I would have been like, oh, well, you know, you need to try this supplement, try this kale smoothie. Oh, you know what? My acupuncturist is amazing. You need to go see her or, you know, my naturopathic doctor, and this isn't to shit on what they do. They are, I had all those people. I know you do too. (laughs) Everybody who is in the fertility realm has probably done about, you know, a thousand hours of research on all of this stuff. So it, you know, now I realize that, you don't need to give unsolicited advice. You just need to listen. And you don't need to make assumptions about someone's health, you know, or ask invasive questions not ready to ask or answer, you know, so I've always been someone who's, I'd like to say, you know, helpful, but I now realize that I need to take a step back and do more listening than talking. And I think that has, you know, I needed to become the patient instead of the health coach in order to get like a reality check on that.
1: (laughs) That's so powerful. And I don't think everybody has that lens on it. Um, that's in your world, in the health world. Um, so, you know, you've, I've taken some of your (laughs) kick-ass, the the hardest fucking shit I've
0: ever done.
1: (laughs) Those freaking bands. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm a little bit mean when it comes to working out. It's true. It's true. Um,
1: but no, not mean, just like they are, they work. Like I remember going cause um, Nikki used to teach Pilates at my office and walking in after Pilates being like, I can't sit on my chair. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was really at the, like, I, as I said, years ago and um, you know, I, you met your husband and you guys obviously have decided that you wanted to have a family. And I, I'm going to make an assumption here, but I feel like you're like, I'm fit. I eat right. um, I'm doing all the things. There's no, nothing in your sphere of being like why this wouldn't work for you. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair assumption?
0: Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of things that took me by surprise. That's for sure. Um, You know, our situation was, you know, I had, so there are two folds there. There were potential, you know, potentially issues on both ends in terms of Mm -hmm. my husband and myself. So we were married and then I think I was 34 and I was like, yep. Okay. Let's, you know, you know, let's have some kids. Like I knew I I ideally wanted two kids and I knew, you know, I'm not young. I'm not old, but I'm not young. Like I was, this is the time, you know, it's 34, you know, I'm in a big city. That's not old in Toronto to get have a kid. Right. Yep. So, you know, we started trying and nothing was happening and It had been, I'd say about six months. And I told a friend of mine and she was just like, Nikki, you need to go and do some acupuncture. And of course I was like, okay, yeah, I'm open to that. Let's do it. So I found a Chinese medicine doctor. She was amazing. And I told her and she was like, I think you should go now just to get some cycle monitoring done just to kind of get a checkup. And I was like, all right. So I went and uh, everything looked normal the cycle. I was like, yep, you're ovulating and things totally normal, blah, blah, blah. Um, but they were like, yeah, let's get your husband checked. So it turns out that he was dealing with low stuff on every, you know, motility, morphology, even DNA fragmentation, like everything was like pretty bad. So that was obviously a shock. And that also is a whole other conversation regarding like the stress that can put on a relationship. I'm already the healthier of the two of us. I'm already the one that's like, drink this kale shake I made for you. And he's just like, give me my coffee and my freaking donut and go away. Right? Like, So we already have that dynamic. And now on top of that is me being like how much coffee did you drink today? I already studied that. If you have too much coffee, then you know your sperm's going to be even shittier. And then I find that like women are more pragmatic about this stuff where we're like, okay, so, you know, this is sex, but, you know, I need to do the, take this supplement or whatever. Whereas I feel like men, there's a bit of a, virility really, ego component, right? It's like, my guys are swimmers. They're great. You know, they don't want to have to admit that like their swimmers have issues. I um,
1: want to stop you because I just want to <laughs> dive into that a little bit. <laughs> I I, first of all, I do not think male infertility is talked about enough. Um and uh that it's it's interesting because it's interesting. I I say it's interesting on this podcast. I'm so sorry, I like catch myself. Um it is interesting. I I don't know if you have that in your own podcast where when you hear yourself talk, you you're like, no, I'm, I, I have no rep- repetitive word.
0: <laughs> you know what I say? Interesting. Cause it's hard to find an adjective. Yeah, it's, like yeah, neutral. Yeah. it's a neutral adjective, right? Thank you for validating <laughs> me. Um, but like
1: fertility in itself and, and IVF and all these conversations, they're not talked about enough, but in the space that they are male infertility is not inserted and enough in that, in that narrative. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, I can relate to you in the sense that it's one thing when it's happening in your body and you have control over what you're consuming and, um, you know, your all of it, right. Exercise. But when it's, and I don't have this experience. Um, but I am curious, like, how do you guys, how did you navigate because you are somebody that has such great, um, like diligent routines on the health front. And then you had like, then I have to manage your partner
0: almost. That, that is sucks. a really tricky one. It was hard. It was very, very, it was a very dark period, I will say. Um they did improve, parameters did improve with like certain supplements and cutting out, like cutting down on alcohol and caffeine and stuff. We saw, you know, a Euro, whatever the urologist at Mount Sinai, and he was like, Yeah, you know, you can continue with the IUIs. And the first one worked, the first IUI worked and it was a miscarriage and it was an early miscarriage that said it was still like, and and it was funny, like they're like, oh, but you can conceive your uterus is smart. That's amazing. It knew it was bad sperm (laughs) kind of what we were kind of, that was like the messaging that I got. So, you know, the statistics then showed, well, you know, you should just keep trying. And they were like, kept wanting to give me more meds. I was like, I'm ovulating as per normal. I don't want to be taking meds just because it's your protocol. Like, I know I'm going to have my LH surge on day 15. Fuck off. Like, I'm not taking more meds, you know? And so I had to, and I'm, that's my personality. I'm okay to advocate for myself, but I felt for so many other people who I would talk to and they'd be like, well, I have to do this again. And I'm like, you know, anyways, that's a whole other kind of thing you know, issues of, you know, are you getting the right treatment for yourself or are you just a number at this clinic and they're just blanket prescribing you meds that you may or may not need, or like, are they giving you the right dose of the med, you know, that kind of thing. So long story short, we did more IUIs, they didn't work. Um, And they kept saying, well, we're just going to pump you through a little more meds and do more IUIs. And I was like, I was debating like, what do we do? Like, I don't know if I want to do this. I think I just want to jump to IVF. And a friend of mine said, I t- I, had, I was lucky to have a couple of friends who'd been through it before me. And she was just like, what's going to be easier on your marriage doing the IVF now? Or we had a funded spot and anyone listening probably knows funded. I'm seeing this in quotations is like not really fully funded. I think it was eight grand, which is nothing to sniff at, but it doesn't include PGS. It doesn't include drugs. It doesn't include like blah, 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 blah. So we could have waited another year. And at this time I was 35 or we could just do it right then and there. And they're like, well, what's going to be harder on your marriage? And I was like, waiting a year, I will pay $8,000 and not go on vacation so that we don't have to drag this out any longer.
1: That is, um, I don't think I've ever heard advice like that before around, well, no, I like straight up, you know, how are you guys going to do? What can you endure? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I think people are just like either they're just trying to get there faster, which to some is not necessarily
0: the easiest on the marriage. That's such great advice that that you got. I was grateful for it. You know, it was a friend of mine and, and she had already had three kids. She'd struggled with a miscarriage, but she hadn't gone through IVF, but she's still just like very, like got to lover, like so blunt. And you kind of need a friend like that sometimes who gets that it's not all a cakewalk as it relates to your marriage, especially with the dynamic we were dealing with. Um, and then another friend of mine, I was like, should I do another IUI? And she's like, Nikki, you got to hit this thing with a bazooka. <laughs> That's what she said. And I remember vividly, I was like in the car between teaching Pilates classes, like on the phone with her being like, you know, I don't know what to do. And and she's just like, you know what, just just go from like whatever it is, a 16% chance to a 60% chance of it working. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. Let's do it. So that was the decision. So I basically didn't follow their advice. They wanted me to just keep doing IUIs. And ended up going to IVF at a completely new clinic. Yeah,
1: I think that there it's you you get to a point where you have to make some of those harder decisions when you've been in some form of treatment for an X period of time. I I think everyone gets to that point where it's like, I'm ready to make a new decision, I'm ready to try something new. And um, some advice I've received that I'm actually thinking about right now as I go into my third cycle is, you know, no protocol should be the same you know, um, you should be looking at, um, every time you go into a cycle or an Iowa, anything, it should feel like it should feel different. It should feel like you're moving forward in some way. And it sounds like, you know, and you, you kind of know got inside when you're like, you know what? I'm done with this,
0: this stage of it. And I'm ready to move to whatever that might look like. 100%. 100%. And one thing I left out of the story was that, so I have a heart condition. I, also, I just left they, out this really interesting. <laughs> it's really <big> and, <laughs> and people also, they did the sono histogram at this clinic. It was excruciating for me. I know some people are like, yeah, you know, it's fine. I was like hitting the wall, freaking out in, you know, and I've had the fortunate luck of having two kids since all this and have had two unmedicated vaginal births. Like I can deal with pain. That shit was brutal. Like worse than childbirth for me. For me, I didn't feel a thing. See, it's crazy. So anyways, they found a polyp on my uterus that was very large. So then I had to go and have um, my very first time going under general anesthetic, like getting the polyp removal, all this stuff. So they did find stuff for me as well. And of course, then I'm just like, how do I have a polyp? Like, how did that happen? You know, I had no symptoms. Is it because I, you know, and then you start to go into this, like, well, what have I been doing wrong? At what point did I do this to myself? Maybe. And then of course I'm like, well, I was a vegetarian for 20 years. I had too much tofu. That's estrogen, blah, blah, blah. So I gave myself this thing. Cause I was, you know, so you start to think about all the things that you've done wrong in the past as it relates to your health, you know? So I did experience some of that as well spinning, right? Totally, completely spinning. And, you know, if only I had fill in the blank, right. And then I also, so that's, that's the part about the the polyp. And then, you know, the reason that I switched clinics, people may be wondering, cause I did t- share that was that during <laughs> one of my WANDA, episodes, right? My, my lovely internal vaginal ultrasounds, I went into heart arrhythmia. So I have something called SVT. It's basically really high heart palpitations. Um, It doesn't hurt, but you can pass out and I've needed meds in the past. Like you have to go to the ER and essentially they put this drug in your, you know, IV and it stops and restarts your heart. It's all very pulp fiction, like very exciting. Um, And so I went into SVT in the middle of my internal vaginal exam and the ultrasound tech. And I was like, and I not know when it's happening. And I've had, I've been dealing with this since I was like 14. So I'm calm and I'm like, fuck, here we go. And I'm doing all the bagel remove like maneuvers of being like, okay, I'm going to breathe through this. I'm going to get my legs up. So I, I was like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to stop. I'm having like heart palpitations. Um, I, I'm just going to give me like, give me like a minute. And if it doesn't go away, you're going to need to call nine one one. So she's kind of looking at me like, what? Like, cause I don't, there's no visual sign that I'm going through this. So she leaves the room and leaves me in there for like 10 minutes. (laughs) So she comes back in and I'm like doing my thing, my legs up the wall, like... I'm breathing through it. And then the doctor, the comes things in. that women do,
1: hold on to like, get that scan. You know what I, I mean? Know. Like you're basically like your heart's about to like die. Yeah. You're like, no, 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 no.
0: Put, do the scan. Yeah, Like no. I can't wait. 100%. And so I was, you can't miss a month. Right. So anyways, the doctor comes in and she's like, starts yelling at the ultrasound tech. What did you do? You just left her, Da done it up. Call the paramedics. And of course I'm just like, whew, like breathing through it. Like trying to like tune everyone out. Like I've been dealing with this for a long time. So yeah. I'm not not freaking out. They're freaking out around me. Paramedics come in. It was all very dramatic. I'm in a big clinic, downtown Toronto. And they actually give me the medicine, like shock my heart in the ultrasound tech room. Right. So it happens because they don't necessarily transfer you to the hospital to do it. They do it right then and there because you don't want to be in SVT for too long. And so it's over. And as soon as you get the med, you're back to normal and it doesn't feel good getting it, but it's a short, like five seconds and then you're back to normal. And then I'm like, Hey, can you just finish the ultrasound? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're like, wait, wait, I'm totally fine. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> no. And they were like, really? I'm like, yeah. Paramedics were like, okay, well we have to transfer to the hospital now. I'm like, you can just wait outside. Hey, you know, <laughs> Sally or whatever her name was. Can you just finish this exam? Like, I want to get this data on record for the month. Cause I yeah. I did not just waste this month. And, and she's just like, uh, okay. <laughs> Like, anyways, after that, the clinic kicked me out. They're like, you're too high risk. You're an anesthesia class three. We can't take you on if you want to do IVF because we can't handle you for your egg retrieval. You're a liability. You have to go to either Markham because it's attached to a hospital or London because it's attached to a hospital. I had two choices. Sinai wouldn't take me. I'm like a leper now. No one's going to take me. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to Markham because London is way too freaking far. Like London, Ontario. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people fly all over the world for this stuff. So it's It's true. It's true. But to be able to have to drive there every day—that oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm like I couldn't go to Markham
1: (laughs) every day. Like
0: every day. So that's how come I ended up doing my cycle at Markham. Okay. Okay. That is a dramatic story there. (laughs)
1: So, but, but, you know, you go through IVF, you do an egg retrieval and it's pretty successful for you considering, I mean, anyone that has to even go through IVF using the word successful, I think is a bit dangerous. I'm not, you know, trying to diminish your experience, but I feel you, you had a
0: one, two cycle remind me. Yeah. We were very, very lucky. We beat the odds. So we had one um, IVF cycle. We ended up with five blastocysts and we did PGS testing and two came back normal. And we did both transfers two years apart and we have two kids. It's such a beautiful story. And um, what
1: is so Awesome um, from an outsider, is you've then taken this experience and decided to use your platform, which continues to grow. I mean, you have created just an awesome community, like, and really it keeps growing. It's, it's so cool because I feel like what you're doing is so different. And I'd, I'd love you to just even talk about how you decide to do all of your content because I find that that is um, what differentiates you uh, from other people in the industry. Um, but what made
0: you decide to, to share? I actually have one specific moment that comes to mind. So as I was going through the cycle monitoring and the IUIs and the IVF, I was continuing to teach my prenatal Pilates classes, which was fucking hard (laughs) when you're jealous of your students. These are the students that you're trying to support and be empathetic to. And, every Monday night. And I started to hate Monday nights because I would be in the studio and I would have like 20 pregnant glowing women show up and they'd be like, my back hurts. I can't sleep. Oh, I'm getting these weird calf stretches. What is that? Or calf cramps, whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, like I've got a lot of knowledge in this area, but deep down, I was like thinking to myself, God, at least you're pregnant. Like yeah. And I'm human, right? I am just human. This is You know, I think a lot of people who've been through fertility will be able to relate, but it started to, I'm sure that they could start to sense that something was up. And this was like, I love supporting women. I love, I've always loved teaching prenatal classes. Only I started hating it because of my experience and and essentially just being, you know, consumed with jealousy. And finally, someone close to me said, Nikki, you need to take off your mask, like verbatim. And Ooh. I was like, oh, and it was, if you think about it, like I'm getting shivers as I tell the story because I was spending so much energy keeping a wall up, pretending that I was good. Meanwhile, like my veins are black and I'm, you know, exhausted from having to drive. And, you know, before I teach my first class, I've already taken the subway downtown, gotten blood work, gotten something up my vagina, gone home, like teaching classes and then people are complaining that like, they can't sleep. And I'm like, shut up. Yeah. 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 It's hard. And so I, I was, I thought about it and I was scared and I started doing some reading with like Brene Brown and the strength and vulnerability, which I'm sure you're familiar with. I was shaking, but I decided one day I was like, okay, I've got to say something. So at the end of my class, I forget which one it was, but at the end of my class, I said, there's something I want to share with you to my students. And I think they could tell like the energy in the room shifted. Everyone kind of stopped talking and they were like, yeah, what's up? And I said, you know what? I'm really hoping to be joining you in your pregnancy journey soon. I just want to let you know my husband and I are going through fertility treatments. And I'm like blinking back tears. Like I'm trying so hard to keep it together because I'm trying to be the strong teacher and the, you know, the expert. And in that moment, everything shifted. In that moment, I think about a third of the class came up to me and said, oh, I had through miscarriages or, oh, well, I, my sister had to do IVF or, you know, oh yeah, we've, and, and I, here I was assuming that all of them had had this easy time and that I was the only one who had been struggling and I had been so wrong about that, you know, making the assumption that their journey had been easy and I was the only one alone on an island dealing with this horrible issue and it wasn't the case and that was so eye opening for me and it was so powerful and i felt like this huge weight come off my shoulders when i realized like not only should i share but when i shared it's like the whole world opened up and then they felt like they could share and then everybody felt more connected and more seen and more understood and i was like this is the way to go like you know, and then of course, of sort of the pendulum swung from me having no mask to be like, okay, here it is. Here's the real deal. That is
1: also just a testament to it's, um, a beautiful experience when you're, sh- when you do get to the point that you want to share. And I'm, I'm sensitive because I understand not everybody, um, feels that they want to share. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say share, it's even if you've, I'm always encouraging, like, it doesn't have to be 10 people. It can be two people. Some people don't, don't share at all. And there, there's a, um, to go through this with no support, um, mm-hmm. is just not okay. It, it changes your journey. It it truly changes your journey. And, um, and then I feel you, so you shared with your, um, like in-person, <laughs> And when, and was that like, great, I just did that. Now I'm going to go share on my channel. Like, where was
0: that switch? I, it probably happened, I would say, maybe like a couple of weeks later. I started just telling a few more people, like kind of dipping your toe in the water. And, you know, and then I was like, okay, I'll share on my platform. I started writing blog about it on my website. I was contributing at the time to HuffPost Canada. I wrote a, a blog there. So I kind of like eased into it. Um, and I noticed that, you know, 98% of the time it was met with complete, you know, thank you for sharing. And then other people giving, it made them feel like they could share. And I also recognize that, you know, just sharing. So I, yeah, we have a struggle in the world of fertility, but other people may not have experienced that. Maybe they had a struggle in another area, but, you know, then they felt like they could share their journey again, whether it was, you know, probably like with, chronic pelvic pain, for example, you know, or, you know, sexual dysfunction or feeling, cause these are things that we are shamed of, right? We think there's something wrong with us and therefore we don't want to share because there's shame. And then the more we don't share, it breeds more isolation, which breeds more shame. And so it's like, we just need a couple people to start saying, Hey, it's okay. It's not your fault. There's no shame here to give other people the permission to say, you know what? Like, God, we got to stop this, you know, like stop this suffering in silence. And and women's bodies bear the double burden of judgment when it comes to infertility and invasive medical treatments.
1: I feel, you know, through your podcast, you're doing a great job. I think all of your guests have had um, uh, different, they're hitting different Uh, industries or different areas in which people are not sharing. And I, and I've listened to a few of your episodes where I feel like you've been really pushing. um, I think your last one was around HPV Mm -hmm. and really like, let's open up about this so we can not only be educated, but actually be more healthy through it. Right. I think people don't also share and they could probably be like, I've been sharing through IVF and I feel like I've, all these new questions to ask my doctor, I would never have considered if I didn't share. So, um, and you know, I also would love to talk a bit about the work that you do. Um, You know, I, we've had a couple of conversations and what really uh, hit home, like I actually have been thinking about it since we last connected was around how we hold trauma in our bodies. Um, and can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, you know, obviously I I delivered, had a late pregnancy loss and I pushed my, I've just, it has, I've just disassociated my body now. Um, and I didn't understand that that's like a form of trauma or that it's living in me. And you, um, are so eloquent in the way that you describe this. So I feel like this is a great you know, what's your thoughts on that just based off the work you're doing?
0: Well, first of all, again, I am so sorry that you had to go through that and I want you to know that you're not alone because I hear stories like this unfortunately very often. Mm-hmm. So, I and I know thank you know you. you're not alone, but I just wanted to take a moment, you know, to let you know that what you had to go through is something I would wish on no one. So, yeah, thank you. Big hug to you, my friend. Um as it relates to to trauma and how we hold it in our body and our somatic tissue, it, it can get stored there, but it doesn't need to get stored there forever. You can move through that trauma. And we actually have an episode about it and it's it's about birth trauma, but the way you work through it and you experienced birth trauma. I mean, let's be honest, right? Totally. So it's There are different kinds of traumas. We also have a, an episode on sexual trauma. So all any type of trauma can get stored in your body. And the idea is to try to find a way to release it. And, and one of the ways it can get stored in your body is through an overprotection pattern. And as you mentioned, there may be, have been a dissociation. Dissociation is actually your body's way of trying to protect you. You know, And even if your memories are a bit fuzzy about it, that's another way of your brain trying to protect you from a really painful experience. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you feel fuzzy about it, that's why victims of sexual assault often can't recall their story very well in court because their brain goes into this protective state and you can't actually really remember that well. And it's a sign that your body's doing what it's supposed to do to keep you safe. So I want to acknowledge that as well. Um, But one of the things I often say as it relates to tension too and guarding is that, you know, you can almost think of a scared dog tucking its tail. We can do the same thing, right? We can Mm. clinch in response to threat. And they actually did studies on this. I believe it was a university in Israel where they put these Electrodes measuring pelvic floor contractility on women's pelvic floors, and they showed them scary movies. Well, lo and behold, what do you think happened? Their pelvic floors will contract in response to a scary movie. And so, when we feel threat, whether it's previous trauma threat, right? Because that can stay. We can keep that threat in our system. We can kind of relive that, or you know, perceived threat in the future. We can clench and, and protect these vulnerable areas of our body, like our pelvic floor, in response to that. So. You know, signs that you may have uh, undiagnosed pelvic tension could be pain with sex, pain in your lower back, any type of pelvic pain, urinary hesitancy, constipation, um, you know, burning, sensation in the, any genitalia, all of these things can be a sign of, of undiagnosed tension. So we want to try to address that tension, not just from going to see a pelvic floor physical therapist where they'll give you a manual internal vaginal or rectal exam, fun times, I know, I've had it done. <laughs> Woo-hoo, but basically. I've had it done too, <laughs> yeah. I've had so, it done too. You're I down, think right? there's,
1: yeah, the, yeah it, it's, it, and it's a, a whole plant they put you on.
0: Yeah it's, yeah, it's that, but but one of the things I think gets missed is that, you know, everyone's like, well, what are the stretches I need to do to stretch it out and release it? It's like, awesome, but we need to deal with your centralized nervous system too. So, you know, you just getting stretched out and not addressing the root cause of that overprotection in the first place, AKA scared dog tucking tail. Like if you're clenching in response to day-to-day stress, you know, you, going, you can get released at the PT's office you know, as many times as you want, but we need to adjust why you're stressed and clenching in the first place. Um, and so that's where we have to send a lot of messages to our pelvic floor messages of safety messages of, and it sounds super woo. I want to acknowledge that, <laughs> but it's true. Like, like you're safe. And you might even notice like anyone listening to this, like how, how when you're, as you're listening to this, whether you're multitasking in the car, whatever, like what's going on in your pelvic floor, are you If you were to pause, take a deep inhale and just try to let things go on your inhale. I would call it the blossom breath. I know it's super cheesy, but imagine a flower blossoming out of your vagina. (laughs) Inhale, let it go. And and try to drop your shoulders. So often I can even tell if someone has a tight pelvic floor, if they are like breathing up into their neck and shoulders and they've got this shallow breathing pattern, well, whatever's going on up top is probably also going down below.
1: I'm like, oh, I have a very tight. Well, yes, I feel like I'm, and that's what, that's what it is. And and um, my question is for you: Do you feel like this can happen to someone that hasn't given birth, like this maybe gone through multiple cycles of IVF? I mean, every time, one
0: hundred percent. Okay, okay, one hundred percent. Yeah, and if you think about it: like you know, you're getting you're getting Wanda like however many times a week. You're getting, you know, you're just. And the stress and the and the whatever messages you may be internalizing about your body, right? Even though you're like, "I know logically, it's not my fault. I know logically, but like we're human. And we often will say, "Yeah, but you know, and we're so hard on ourselves. We shouldn't be, but we are. And you know, it's, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot it's consuming. It takes over your life. Like I feel like I lost about two years of my life going through it and i am so empathetic to people going through it because you know you're trying to sort of continue with your job with social events i mean granted that's been easier with covid fewer social events but you know other challenges right like you're trying to kind of you know i think i saw your post like to take a break but there's no break there's no freaking break in your brain no and and to your point
1: it's like when you feel there's no break in your brain, your body's reacting to that. And, and it's, 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 then you go back to just relax, just relax. Like, so what, do you have any recommendations on, on what people could be doing to like loosen their tension? Um,
0: I, yeah. Do you have anything
1: based off your experience I mean, what worked for you?
0: <laughs> i was just thinking about my two week wait. I would literally go and blow 200 bucks at Sephora because I was like, I need a distraction. Like I always am. A- like
1: you need to put in your IVF budget, like materialistic,
0: emotional, like emotional shopping. Totally. Like I could be like, you know, you need to do some yoga and meditate, or just go to fucking Sephora yeah. and blow 200 bucks on I have, like, like 12 sweatsuits. <laughs> so like it's like okay. I, I understand both are really beneficial. If you have the extra money after all these drugs that you're paying for, great. If you don't, it's okay. You know, For me, like, I'm like, just put it on the card. I'll ready. deal with it later. <laughs> <laughs> so how do I deal with it? You know what? I, I try really hard not to obsess over certain things. I read a book called The Universe Has Your Back, written by Gabrielle Bernstein. Such My daughter's name is Gabrielle. It really impacted me, this yes. book. Yes. And it was, she was, she was talking about her own struggle because she struggled to have a baby and also the feeling of being an A-type person and living in a big city and having a career and, you know, always being able to plan and make shit happen. And all of a sudden you can't make this one thing happen. So yeah, it's hard. And so trying to trust that at some point we're going to be parents in some capacity, in some way. And that serenity prayer, knowing the difference between the things you can and cannot control. So like, I can't control a lot of this shit, but what can I control? Like, you know, I can control my reaction to things. And you know, it's okay to have a glass of wine. It's fine. Like for real. (laughs) Like stuff like that, where like you can get really like, oh, but I can't do this. I can't do that. Yeah. So. Yeah, really it's in, in surrounding yourself with people who get it and are going to be annoying and obnoxious like <laughs> giving you unsolicited advice. You know I'm what I mean? And for so, sure
1: it's you know
0: I'm and I,
1: I I preach this all the time like I'm in a mindset program And that is something you can start to learn to control, right? Is how do you want to, and I'm kind of gearing myself up for, for my next round. And I'm a lot of my inner dialogue right now is like, how do I want to approach this? How do I want to handle this? You know, how do I want to live my life to the fullest that it can and go through treatment? Um, And I always say that I think mindset is just not a piece of the IVF puzzle or the fertility puzzle right now like that that conversation around how are you mentally
0: moving from A to B like every day it's not perfect yeah. it's not perfect it, it's not perfect one of the I saw a friend of mine is a uh, is a psychologist and she does specialize. Her name's Dr. Stacey Thomas. She's amazing. She's here in Toronto on the beaches and she does work with a lot of women who are going through fertility. So she actually said to me, and, and at first I was a bit like, ooh, I don't know if I'm ready to digest this. But she said, what are the gifts of this experience? And in the moment I was like, ooh, that's just, there's no gift here. It's just all shit. But like, you know, you start to think, okay, well, yeah, it has blown open in my heart. I have become incredibly more empathetic, you know, that is a gift of this experience. And I can relate now to other women in a way that I could never relate before. You know, I've always been, yes, heart heart issues aside, but I've been largely very fortunate, you know, to be a healthy, able-bodied person with means, like I haven't had a lot of struggles. And so now all of a sudden I'm like, wait a second, like you know, life can be really hard. And now I'm not afraid to have conversations about it. And I'm not afraid to connect with people on that level.
1: I think the reframe into um, the experience being a gift when you can, when you can open your mind to that idea. I I mean, I think about that with Ruby, actually, like, I feel like she is, she's not here, but she's changed my life. And the direction I want to take and the work that I'm doing and more than, um, I ever could have expected, but that is, uh, a mindset shift that I had to start to be open yeah. to looking at it in that way. And it's given me, like, I always say, I'm like, Ruby gave me day one, you know, Ruby gave me, um, the ability to write an article or be open or like, she's funneling through me in, in this type of work. And so I'm grateful for her, but that's a very hard thing not everybody and i don't expect everyone to but um to wrap your head around when you're Making really when you're, <laughs> oh. when you're in it when you're in it you know um but i think that it's done for you as well like you know your experience has done that um in terms of you using your platform just to even be on this podcast you know you um, it has changed the work that you do and the conversations that you're having. And, and that is a gift to your clients and the people that you service every single day. Um, so I I am just grateful for you to come in and share your story with, with our community. So, um, because if you follow Nikki, which you guys all should, uh, your ability to dive deep into like women's health and to for me, like the pelvic floor stuff, and I know you do so many other things, but um, the education around that has been um, really, I think groundbreaking specifically, like in the community. So would you agree? I think that your experience
0: has elevated the work you're doing. You're very kind. Thank you. I I am blushing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I don't know. I think that, I think we just need, to have a few people come out and talk about things that nobody else likes to talk about. Because when we start to talk about things, whether it's peeing your pants, whether it's pain with sex, whether it's, you know, a miscarriage, whether it is IVF or, you know, partner resentment, anything that's a bit taboo, right? I think that we start to really connect more. And I I feel like that's really... You can take your social media in one to two directions. You can use it as a platform to foster connection and really get vulnerable and share and create a community, or you can like put your life on display and make it look really pretty and awesome and like get lots of ads. Like, I don't know, I'm more of the mindset to say, I want that person who's scrolling IG to stop and see this and actually feel better about their life, not worse about their life. And I feel like one of the main things is this messaging of you're not alone. So many of us feel so alone and it's even worse now with this pandemic we're living in where all we see, I mean, we were largely consumed by this digital world and it's like how you show up in that digital world has a real, real impact in your day-to-day life. And so I'm hopeful that whatever it is that I put out there can help other women feel less alone, feel seen, whether they're laughing, whether like, holy crap, I realize now I need to go and get some help for this issue, whether they're peeing their pants, whether they're whatever, fill in the blank, but in a way that makes them feel empowered and not ashamed. So I experienced my dad actually, he wasn't trying to be malicious, but he did start to shame me about our fertility struggles. And it was right around Christmas time, we had had our first uh, miscarriage. It was after the IUI and I called him and I had said, you know what, just so you know, this is what we're going through in the hopes that he wouldn't bring it up at Christmas dinner. I was wrong. <laughs> he had in the past always been like, Oh, well you need to exercise less and you need to, you know, eat more meat like super old school French guy in his seventies, like in his mind, like that's what was going to be the answer. If I just like eat a more robust diet of, you know, know, I don't know, pork chops and and beef, who knows. So I, you know, I told him this, we went over for Christmas dinner, it's Christmas day, and we're sitting at the table and he's had a couple glasses of wine at this time. And all of a sudden it comes up and he's like, you know, you had a miscarriage. You did not carry the baby. Once you conceive, it's your responsibility to carry the baby. So you need to start taking better care of yourself and slow down at work and blah, blah, blah. And my husband is squeezing my knee under the table as hard as he can because he's he knows I'm going to blow a gasket. Like he knows I'm like, <gasps> right? I'm like, like fired up. I'm like sweating <laughs> under <here. laughs> So my, my brothers are staring at me from across the table going, Oh no, he didn't. Cause they know like based on my face, they know I'm just like, and I had a decision at that moment. I'm like, am I going to blow up Christmas or am I just going to leave? So we left and I was like, okay, just finish that glass of wine. See ya. Peace out. We left like, you know, and I think my dad was still doesn't really understand. Like, I'm sure he's forgotten this incident completely, you know, but I was like, Fuck that. Like seriously fuck that. Like the patriarchy is fucking real. And the more we can talk about this and and educate and say actually more than 50% of the time it's a sperm chromosomal abnormality. Like fuck you and your judgment on my body. Like you know, it was just so infuriating and it fueled me to be like, yet and here I am. I have a platform. I am also a personality. I'm strong enough to be like, fuck you. No, it's not true. But a lot of women internalize that and they feel so much shame and so much guilt. And I was like, I'm standing up for all women right now to help them know it's not their fault. Don't listen to some guy who doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. And I love my dad, but he just needs to stay in his lane. Amen.
1: (laughs) It's funny um, because the conversation in that generation, my mom actually was like, you know, since you've started day one, she's been able to have open conversations with her friends um, that she had no idea because that generation just kept things very quiet. So she was like, you know, not only by you opening up, are you helping your generation or your peers? But she's like, there's a ripple effect in terms of the generation above us um, like really from a women, from a woman's perspective as well. Um, she's like, I've been having these conversations with my friends I've never had before. And that's a, that's, that is part of this too, you know, is, is not just, not just kind of educating our peers, but there are generations above us that need sort of a kick in the.
0: Totally. The shame about it, but that was a very pervasive thought. Like, oh, something's wrong with the uh, woman that she couldn't carry the baby. And I remember even growing up like, oh, well, there's a reason that the kids are so far apart in age that, you know, that she had a miscarriage. And it was like whispered, mm -hmm. like that it was like this thing you don't talk about. And I'm just grateful that we're starting to talk about it more, but we still have a lot more work to do. Oh, for sure. Well,
1: I think that you sharing this and your story and your continued support on the, with the work that you do has been amazing. And I'm just grateful for all of your time here. I hope to have you back. I'd love to do another episode where we really do also just dive into the, to the work that you're doing for, for women in general, um, I know my pelvic floor needs some strong education <laughs> from you. I'm like, oh, all these I'm things here for you're
0: it. talking about. <laughs> I'm here for it, my friend. Thank you. And thank you for everything that you're doing. You are changing lives. I know that. Oh, that means so
1: much. Well, I, I want to end our conversation with the question I ask everyone that joins, which was, you know, what would be the advice you would give someone starting day one of
0: their fertility journey? find support, find support. So I found a lot of my support. I created a new private Instagram fertility account and I found support with random people on Instagram. That for me was huge. And some of them became real friends in real life. So that's what I did at the time. I didn't have anyone really that was in it with me. Um, so for me, that was, that was key to find that support and to not be afraid to be a squeaky wheel and to ask questions and to advocate for yourself because no one's going to do a better job advocating for yourself than you. And, and the, that's so great. And
1: I also think that advocating yourself is another thing I've been really thinking about. Cause I feel like I don't really do that. And the reason I haven't done it is because I wasn't educated. And yes, yes, that's on me to do more research and all of that thing, all of, all of it. But I, if more people talk, you're educating through, like I'm getting educated through everyone else's stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people are scared to advocate because they just don't know the questions to ask and they don't know how to do it.
0: It's true. And, and there's also a, you know, um, personality component. Right. And there's also a, well, you're the doctor, you're the expert. Who am I? I'm just a, whatever, you know, I don't want to, it's an authority thing. So if you are, you know, more compliant people, pleasing person by nature, you're going to have a harder time advocating for yourself. I know. But I, you know, I said to them at the end of the day, you're the freaking client. You're spending a lot of money. You're the client. They work for you. Yes. I'm getting myself up to that
1: place. But part of it for me, I think has also been like, I don't want to make this harder than it is. So I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, do what they say. Cause I just, I don't want to ruffle feathers. I don't want to make things more complicated, but I'm learning through all of this not to do that. So I think that's great advice.
0: Thank you so much, Nikki, for coming on. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate you and everything you do. And I would love to come back anytime. Uh, Well, we will be taking up on that.